Pull up a chair, make yourself comfy, and let's talk guitars. Hi, this is Cams, your host, and welcome to another episode of Acoustic Guitar I.O. Earlier in the year, I sat down with English luthier Adrian Lucas of Lucas Guitars, and we had a nice chat. So, without any further ado, I'd like to share that with you now. Hello, listeners, friends. Welcome to another episode of Acoustic Guitar I.O. I'm Cam's your host. And this afternoon I have the great pleasure of sitting with luthier, musician, Adrian Lucas. Hello Adrian, welcome to the show. Hello Camps. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Well Adrian and I go back a reasonably long way, back to the, the RMMGA gatherings at Buxton. Mm. When our first one was 2005, so we probably met it's around about, about the then. time I first went, I think. Yeah. yeah. So Adrian's a regular at these gatherings and it's lovely to see him back here with us again. It's so lovely to be here. You've just come back from Berlin, I believe. Yeah, yeah. What were you doing in Berlin? Well, the Holy Grail guitar show. It was the fourth edition. Um, I was exhibiting there. I've been to every show since it started, although the last show I wasn't exhibiting. They have a rotational principle for the exhibitors. Ah, So the, the exhibitors don't exhibit year after year. So I did the first two years and then... The third show, I was on the show team, helping to organise the show and okay. volunteering. So I, the last show, I had a really good time just um, wandering around, talking to everybody, looking at the exhibits, which you don't, you can't do that when you're exhibiting because you're at oh, the table. Of course, the yeah, yeah. So uh, it was back to the grindstone this time. But, yeah. Uh, very good, very inspiring. And what did you build for the the show this year? Well, the two, no, three guitars I built specifically for the show. Um, I had, um, I have three sizes of acoustic guitar. The medium size is called the Arbor. I made an Arbor with a sweep cutaway in local woods. One of the features of the show is they have a local wood challenge where exhibitors are invited to build a guitar with woods from their particular locality. You know, whether that be in England or India or wherever. Okay. And um, I built a couple of guitars with that in mind. So I took this this, um, acoustic, which I made with some really nice figured cherry. Um, And then I built a a redwood pavilion, which is my largest model, Uh with sinker redwood and reclaimed um, Cuban mahogany back and sides. Yeah, I just had a look at that. It's a very, very beautiful instrument. With... um, I used white holly for the bridge and fingerboard to contrast with the dark top. So it's kind of almost like a photographic negative of what you would yeah. expect to see. It's, it's a great look. It's a really great look. Um, and then I, I built... Um, when, I, when I did the first Holy Grail show, I was absolutely knocked out with the electric guitars there. They have about 60% electric builders. And I had been completely unaware of the European electric guitar building scene right and it's amazing the kind of stuff people are building and i've always played electric guitar so i thought right i'm going to build something for the show 
So I uh, I got on the computer and messed around with. I have all my guitars drawn on CAD. Uh huh. So I, I scaled the acoustic bodies I got down and played with it and came up with a design that I like the look of. And the, the whole concept behind the electric was that it would be semi-solid, okay, essentially an acoustic body with a block down the middle yeah. um, to combat the feedback and make it have some characteristics of a solid guitar. Yeah. And it's very light. It feels quite light. It's and I used local woods for that. That's made yeah. of yew and bog oak, 5,000-year-old bog oak. 5,000-year-old, my know. goodness. <laughs> it's mind-boggling to think <laughs> what the world was like when that tree was growing. Yes. And you, you do build a lot with reclaimed woods as well, don't yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, I, I rarely go to exotic woods as a default anymore. Right. I tell, I've got a big stash of old mahogany, which is, you know, the bigger the stash gets, the more selective I can be about the wood. And I've got yeah. some very nice, very stable old mahogany, uh-huh. Honduras and Cuban. So I think a couple of years ago you had one with mahogany from an old door, is that right? Or a door frame or something? Yeah, I think uh, I've made, I got some door frames that came from Bradford University ah, okay. when they were refitting the doors. And a friend of mine, a joiner friend of mine was working on that job uh-huh. and phoned me up and said his mates were cutting them up for firewood. Did I want some? Yeah. <laughs> and brought me a whole load. And that's made really good necks. Wow. Some of the most resonant mahogany I've come across. And tell us about the piano that you turned into a guitar. Well, I have here with me a, a small pergola guitar, which is my smallest size, more or less equivalent to a double O Martin. Uh-huh. Um, and I teach at Newark College one day a week. I teach on the guitar making course. And there are four courses there, piano, violin, guitar and woodwind for making instrument making courses and our technician Steve he um, also looks after the piano guys and the head of the piano school gave him this piano lid and said could you cut this up into squares for the piano students to practice French polishing on so he had a look he brought it to me knowing that I'm a bit of a scrounger for such things and we looked at it and decided it was actually a really nice piece of mahogany and didn't ought to be cut up for uh-huh. practising French polishing. <laughs> so he gave it to me and uh, went and found some nice veneered plywood for the students to work on. Uh-huh. So I've um, re-sawn that. I've actually got about three sets, three guitar sets out of it. Right. So I decided to build an all-mahogany body with it, yeah. mahogany top, back and sides, from the same plank. So it's it's been making music. It's been resonating to music for a long, long time. That piece of wood. Yeah, that's. I love that I idea. Know, I like. I like to build guitars where there's a story behind yeah. the materials. Yeah, that's so, a beautiful story. Yeah, so look forward to trying yeah, that. It, yeah, it's nice to kind of make these things live again. Yeah, once they've passed yeah. their original purpose. Yeah, and really, that's the greenest. Using local woods is good, but you're still using trees that are cut down. Yeah. Whereas the reclaimed wood, it's something that is destined to be thrown away. So and of course you have the advantage then of the woods already having dried out. And exactly. It's very stable on the whole. It's yeah. done all the moving it's going to do. Yeah. And the actual 
chemical properties of the wood change over time. The resins crystallise and sure. things like that. And I can imagine what the bog oak must have been through then. Yeah. And <laughs> have thousands of years of lying yes. at the bottom of a swamp. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, bog oak is usually black or brown, and that's due to... I think it's the iron in the water that turns it black. Ah, okay. So there's obviously some kind of mineralisation process going on. Yeah. But it does work just like regular wood. It's not... It's nowhere near fossilised or mm-hmm. anything like that. And do you use bog oak in back and sides, or is it...? I have done, yes. Um, and it it is quite... It's becoming quite... I wouldn't say popular, but quite common. Right. Bog oak back and sides, there's a few people doing it now. I know Sinker Redwood has quite a good reputation. Yeah, for yeah, well, for similar tops. reasons, I guess. Yeah. Sitting in the water for years, starved of oxygen, it kind of mineralises a bit. Yeah, well, that's fascinating. Now, two of the features of your guitars are the zero fret and the, the sound hole. Mm. What, what was your thoughts behind the zero fret, first of all? What does well, that do? First, I first used the zero fret on a commission where I was asked to do it. Um, and it just seemed to make so much sense. The open string is coming off a fret, the same as the fretted strings. Mm-hmm. So you're getting the same kind of tonality. And for a maker, the setup is very simple because you're not cutting nut slots. The n- there is a nut behind the zero yeah. fret, but that's simply a string spacer. Right. So I tend to make nut on zero fret guitars. I tend to make the nut out of wood, mm-hmm. which kind of sits in with the rest of the guitar because you don't you don't need the bottom of the slot. It's yes. just a sideways guide. So the material of the nut has no it's, relevance yeah, really the material to the tone. It's immaterial, <laughs> if you like. Yes. <laughs> and does it help with intonation to have a zero fret? I don't think it makes any difference to the intonation. It's a it's a single point of beginning for the string, mm-hmm. in the same way that a nut would be. Um, so I don't think it really makes any difference. Okay. Um, sometimes people will in, will um, compensate a nut, but I've even seen uh, one maker, Nigel Forster. I've seen he did that with a zero fret, where he's moved the peak of the fret for each string. Oh, really? You're taking a wide fret, uh-huh. which is quite an odd looking thing. Did you ever build with fan frets? You ever done that? Yeah, I have built. I've done a couple of fan fret guitars, and I, I'm actually the next thing I'm going to build is a commission for a fan fret. Uh-huh. Um, that's interesting because the bridge is not square to the centre of the soundboard. Yes, and that's reflected in the bracing, which is kind of offset. Okay. okay. Um, and they do look rather odd from a. They do, yeah. A viewer's perspective, but yeah. to play, they don't really feel all that different. A lot of people will pick up a fan fret guitar and not notice. Yeah, it's interesting. Know, if they don't know. It's interesting. It's so almost, the geometry just fits. Yeah, I think it's almost more ergonomic to have the frets at the nut end slanting away from you. Mm-hmm. Kind of fits the hand shape well. So it might be helpful for players with carpal tunnel or shoulder yeah, yeah, issues, yeah. anything like that. I believe Rickenbacker made an electric guitar in the 60s, which wasn't fan fret, but all the frets were slanted. So okay. they were parallel, but yeah. slanted as they are at the lower end of a 
fun for it. Yeah. And I know that you've you've used the, the Manzer wedge design on some of your instruments. Mm. Oh, yeah, that works. I think once you get to the sort of something deeper than anything like an OM, it's really helpful. Mm. Because it, it considerably reduces the depth of the side on the on the bass side of the guitar. Yeah. Or it fits under your arm. So you've not got that huge reach over a big wide um, bit of body. Just a bit more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So I often do that on the larger guitars just by default. Okay. Now some two years ago when I bought a guitar from you we had a great discussion about the sound hole in the side of the guitar and you explained it to me in the sound port the sound yeah. port yeah. yeah could you explain a bit of that for our listeners about the well, advantages um, the sound port is a little extra hole in the side of the guitar usually on the on the bass side on the upper bout uh-huh. um, and it does provide I always feel the best place to hear a guitar is not from the position you play it in, but mm-hmm. from a couple of metres away in front of the guitar. Sure, yeah. Um, now, I think with the sound port, you get some of that frontal sound coming at you through the hole. And does that detract from the sound that comes from no, the sound No, I mean, hole? I think you have to treat the sound, hole as, the sound port as part of the sound hole. Right. The total area of the sound hole will affect the air resonance inside ah, the body okay so if you add a sound port to a guitar that already has a regular size sound hole it will raise the the air resonance by about a semitone right well the size which, i do it, yeah which is around sort of 20 to 25 mil diameter mm. um so you can compensate for that by adjusting the size of the sound hole. yeah I, I often reduce the sound hole size uh-huh. by an area equivalent to the sound port. Interesting. But if you want to deliberately raise the the air resonance, you can do that with the sound port. And would you adjust your bracing if someone were going to have a higher air resonance? Would that affect the, the bracing of the guitar? Well, certainly a stiffer top will make for a higher resonance, mm. higher air resonance. Okay. Because you have these different resonances. You have the top resonance, the air resonance, and the back resonance, and they all interact with each other. So, so you can affect one by uh-huh. tweaking another one. And when you're selecting wood sets, is that something you take into account with tap testing? Well, I think um, that's a bit more instinctive than analytical. Right. I'm kind of listening for a musical sound in the tap tone and... Or the sort of reasonable integrity in the in the flex of the thing, uh-huh. um, and it's just something I think the more guitars you build, the more of a picture you get. You have to kind of, as you go on and build more and more guitars, you have to build up a correlation between the sound of the guitar and what you know you did in the construction, and what the materials were like. Yeah. It's a very difficult thing to quantify because every time someone comes up with a rule, someone will do the opposite <laughs> and make a really successful instrument. Yeah. So I tend to think these days you have to kind of just absorb the experience and let let your subconscious kind of process that over sort of several guitars. You start to build up a picture in your mind. Sure. And these yeah. days I don't try and analyse that too much. I just... 
yeah. allow it to happen and trust my own feelings about things. Well, it is art at the end of the day. It's mm. a combination, I suppose, of art and science in a way. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of science in there, but people who take a totally scientific approach don't necessarily make better guitars. No, I've seen some tests done in labs where they're testing yeah. tonal frequencies using lab equipment. And, and they can be quite... Um, the results can be quite odd sometimes and quite uh, contradictory. Unexpected. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you introduce blind testing ah, okay. from the listener. Yeah. I was involved through the college, Newark College where I teach, we were involved in a, a project called the Leonardo Guitar Research Project where we, we built pairs of guitars. We got students to build pairs of guitars that were identical as possible in terms of design material mm -hmm. uh, no design and one guitar in the pair would be made with tropical woods and one with non-tropical woods and then so they were as close as we could make them yeah apart from so the it's materials like a real a and test. we had blind tests both for listeners and for players and uh -huh. in the blind testing we asked them to state a preference for one or the other and it was over a huge number of samples it was 50 50. wow and then we did the same test without the blindfold and hey presto 70 percent in favor of the tropicals interesting so there's a kind of visual you know when you take the visual away yeah. people are hearing in a different yeah. or think they're hearing differently well, people have, they've built up their idea based on internet research. Yeah, but that, that kind of psychological aspect is so powerful in oh, yeah. influencing what you think you hear. Well, I'll just tell you a little bit about the guitar I bought from you when I first saw it. I always figured myself as a, I favoured the traditional, you know, mm. the Martin design, rosewood, mahogany, maple. I didn't think I was into a modern style of guitar, I just... This was the idea I had in my head. And as you know, I picked up that guitar and played one chord and was immediately smitten. And all my prejudice just disappeared and I, I realised it was about tone. Tone is the most important thing mm. in a guitar. Aesthetics are important, yes, but yeah. I think tone should be the primary goal. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So if you have a customer looking for a commission, how do you narrow down what kind of thing would suit that particular customer what i usually do if they're coming to my house um i'll ask them to bring along a guitar that they know well mm -hmm. doesn't matter whether they like it or not it's good if they're familiar with it we can use that as a a beginning point of reference that's measurable and if they say, well, I like this guitar, but the neck's too wide or the scale's too short or yeah. the body's too deep, we've got things we can specifically measure and and know sort of by what degree they need to be reduced or enlarged or whatever. Uh -huh. And if they haven't got such a guitar, they can play one of mine and say, well, you know, go through a similar process. Yeah. And do you find... There are cases where the customer would have preconceived ideas of particular tonal qualities in certain tone woods that you have to maybe steer them away from. Or? Yeah, I, I had that experience fairly recently where a customer came to me with a, a kind of 
pick list of all the woods that he was going to wanted on this guitar. Mm. And I showed him a few of my guitars, which, as you know, are in, often in not traditional guitar yeah. woods. Yeah. He says, oh, well, I really like this. Let's go for this wood. <laughs> we went through that on several of the features of the guitar. Yeah. He sort of came round to, because I showed a guitar that was successful using these non-traditional woods, and he saw that I could use those woods in a way that he liked the sound of. Yeah. You know, he changed his idea of what... It's down to the preconception thing again, yeah, really. I know, yeah. That can be powerful. That can be... And certainly the sort of internet forums. There can be a lot of talk where people reinforce those prejudices with I've each other. I've seen that a lot, yeah. yeah. I've possibly even participated in some of that. <laughs> yeah, so I kind of... Although my guitars don't look traditional, to me they've I've arrived at them through a logical... a sort of logical path, yeah. rather than I haven't gone out to design them as unusual or wacky or anything uh-huh. I was trained I studied architecture when I was young and one of the watch one of the phrases that was banded about a lot was form follows function oh yes where the, the, the aesthetics of something buildings in that case came directly out of the function and that's really how I feel about guitar design mm. you should be able to look at the guitar and kind of it should make sense yeah and that doesn't mean there isn't an aesthetic sense to it. You know, there, I, I always try and get an aesthetic hold to the guitar. But Yeah, well, you have a very distinctive style. You can tell a Lucas guitar across the room of, well, like we have here. This, this weekend, we have a room filled with a ridiculous number yeah, of guitars. That's true. Yeah. And you can pick the Lucas out from way across the room. It's a very distinctive style. The other thing that um, is kind of, I don't know if it's unusual, but I started out building classical guitars. I learned guitar making originally through classical guitar making. So a lot of that kind of classical sensibility stayed with me in that I didn't start from the standpoint of a Martin. I started with a classical guitar and adapted it to work for steel strings. Um, Hence I build with a Spanish heel which I think makes for a lightweight guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually do a French polish finish. And I didn't kind of have that baggage, I suppose, of the steel string guitar world. I, I kind yeah. of, the first time I was asked to make a steel string guitar, I'd, I adapted what I knew about classical guitars. Mm-hmm. And this. The with, Spanish heel? What, what's the Spanish that, that heel? That means an integral, rather than the neck and the body being two separate parts that are fitted together at the end via a dovetail or a tenon joint. Yeah. Spanish heel means when you build the neck, you build the part that's inside the guitar as well as outside. What would be the neck block in a guitar with a separate neck? Mm-hmm. And it has two slots in it which the sides go into. So when you build the guitar, you're building face down on a, a board that is shaped to the shape of the soundboard. Mm-hmm. The soundboard goes on first, and it's all braced within this dish. The neck is glued onto that, and then the sides to that. And so all the alignments and angles of the neck 
are built in at the construction stage. Okay. So you're basically building the body around the neck and the soundboard. And does that mean that later on the neck can't be adjusted without... Well, it means it's very structural. There's a structural integrity to it in the first place. So I think it's less likely to have problems of twisting and stuff because Uh the top and bottom of the neck heel inside the body are... They're kind of elongated and glued to the top and back plates. Right. Um, Which, to me, to my mind, makes for a great structural integrity. Mm. Um, You can reset the neck by just releasing the back from the heel. Right. And then you can actually, you can just change the neck angle and glue it back down. Yeah. It's fiddly, but it can be done. Um, But I'm really trying to build guitars that don't distort in the way that would require a neck reset. Oh, you, you have the advantage there of having the reclaimed woods that have already yeah, settled that's down. True. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you use double sides? Yes, as of for the last three or four years, I think, I've been laminating the sides mm-hmm. from two pieces so that they are thicker than a, a single piece of wood side. Normally, to, in order to bend a side, you've got to thin it down to about two millimetres. Right. Otherwise, it's not going to bend. Um, so what I do now, I'm, I'm making two sides, sort of inner and outer. So the outer one is the cosmetic one, and then uh-huh. there's an inner one. And they'll probably be somewhere between 1.5 and 1.8 millimetres each. So you're ending up with a, a thicker side, at three, and, three, three and a half mil thick. Um, and what that does, it forms a rigid boundary to the soundboard mm-hmm. um, and this means the energy from the soundboard generated at the bridge is not lost into the sides flexing okay. it's kind of re-feeding back into the soundboard yeah and i do find they're they're quite f- focused and punchy with that system yes i would agree so i'm doing that sort of by default now okay um it's a bit more work. You have to make a mould. If you have to use a mould to laminate the sides, so you're going to make a different mould for every body shape. But once you've made it, you've got that mould. So it's a bit more work because you've got to do the lamination and uh-huh. clean it all up and everything. It's a bit messy, glued up with epoxy. Right, but messy's fine. <laughs> it's like mud pies, really. And besides building guitars, you're also a very keen musician. Yeah, I play um, in a couple of blues bands. I played, I've played music. I played guitars since I was about fourteen. Okay. And almost entirely. That time has been. I've been a band player. I've never been a solo musician. Uh, I kind of grew up learning guitar with friends who also played uh-huh. guitar or drums or bass or whatever. And did you start with acoustic? Uh, yeah, right at the very beginning. We had a family classical nylon string guitar. I don't think... I'm not sure I'm allowed to call it a classical. <laughs> it's a cheap uh, Japanese thing. In the days when Japanese guitars were quite cheap and plywoody. Aye. Uh, but I got an electric guitar quite early on. An electric guitar is really a band instrument, whereas I think of acoustic more as a solo instrument. Yeah. Um, 
and that's it's just a wonderful thing to do i think playing with other musicians and sure that kind of telepathy you get it's the first time i remember i was my brother got a bass and i got a guitar and we we had a couple of friends used to come around and jam and the first jams i ever had i was just playing some chords and this guy sat down at the piano and said keep going and Mm. improvised for about 20 minutes and it just blew my mind completely I was kind of walking two foot off the ground for the next two <laughs> weeks and I still haven't quite come down that was 45 years ago yeah I think that's why we do it you, so, you can have some magical moments yeah yeah with with music certainly that's one of the big attractions of coming to this gathering yeah some of the music and the, there's always some crazy jamming and the plucky yeah. dip is a, a great feature the plucky dip is a great feature indeed yes because it throws people together in a random way and you have to find something musically in common with that, that whoever it might be yeah and it could be somebody from a completely different field of music or style indeed yeah well, Adrian, it's been a great pleasure to sit and talk with you this afternoon. Likewise. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for If people me. want to find you online, can you send them somewhere they could find yeah, you? Yeah, well, I have a website, which is www.lucasguitars.co.uk. And that's important, the .co.uk, because there is a lucasguitars.com in America. Okay. A guy called Randy Lucas. I'm not him. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a Facebook page, uh, Adrian Lucas and I have a Instagram account. Okay, so you're quite easy to find in all the yeah. usual places. Yeah. Excellent. Well, and thanks again, Adrian, and uh, I hope you all enjoyed listening. And we'll see you all on the next one. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Many thanks again to Adrian for sitting down with me and having a chat. It was great to talk to him and I learned a lot. As I talk to you now in the microphone, my Pavilion 12 fret sweep guitar is hanging above my desk and I thank the guitar gods every day that I was able to bring that guitar home. I was so fortunate to find it. It inspires new things from me and it really is a good musical companion for me. You know how it is when you find the one I'm not saying that that is the one, because as any guitar player will tell you, the one doesn't exist. The quest is ongoing. Guitar acquisition syndrome and all that. But I think I can safely say that this one is a keeper. I enjoy playing it a lot. I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview with Adrian. And if you're able to check him out, feel free. His website, as he said, is lucasguitars.co.uk. And he's on all the usual social media sites as well. I'm Cam's your host, and if you've enjoyed listening, please share this with your friends. If you have any ideas on future guests, players, luthiers, or anyone that you think would be a good fit for the show, please get in touch. You can get me on cams, that's C-A-M-S, at acousticguitar.io. I'm also publishing on the Steam blockchain, so you can find me there on steamit.com, that's S-T-E-E-M-I-T dot com, forward slash, at Acoustic Guitar. Thanks for listening.